You've Met with a Terrible Fate, a podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simont, a game studies scholar from Germany. I'm Aaron Saduko, the founder of With a Terrible Fate. I'm Dan Hughes, an analyst on the website. I'm Layla Carter, another analyst on the website. And you can find us every Sunday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you like to listen. Now, dear listeners, if you've had the pleasure, uh, hopefully a pleasure, of following this new podcast that With a Terrible Fate has started publishing for a while, you'll notice that we have a new voice this week. Yay, new voices. <laughs> yes, cheers to new voices. Uh, glad to hear someone other than myself and these other two bozos. No, bozos <laughs> whom I love very dearly. Uh, but, listeners, uh, with hopes that you're familiar more broadly with With a Terrible Fate as a publication, this voice will not be that unfamiliar to you uh, because Layla was actually one of the very first people who joined the site as a video game analyst. Uh, I have the distinct privilege of having known her since we went to college together and we're very close friends there. Uh, and among other things, without singing her praises too, too much, she's uh, an expert and specialized in things like folklore and mythology. She's also a writer, um, a amazing comic artist, uh, working on, I know at least one novel, probably other writing projects that I'm <laughs> not even as <laughs> as closely privy to. Uh, she's written great stuff in the past for the site on everything from navigation and discovery to in, in Metroid to the mythological impact of horror tropes on horror video game storytelling and pretty much everything in between. She's spoken with us at PAX conventions before, and she's actually one of the amazing analysts who will be speaking with us at PAX West this coming month. So without singing her praises too much, uh, Layla, it's so nice to have you here. This is long overdue, and I'm glad we're doing this together. Yeah, it's nice to be here. I'm super excited to talk about video games on a podcast, you know? Yes, the first of many such times. Especially about music, because this is a... It's a topic that I'm very excited to chat about uh, mm. because I feel like music is something that's often um, a bit underestimated, like beyond what you can visually see in the form of graphics, beyond the way you feel how a game plays. It's often music, like people are not usually excited for the next new soundtrack or something or the next new score or the next new composition, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but music is so important to the game because without it, um, it just the game just wouldn't be the same. You just you have to have a, some kind of soundtrack over it. Even games with very little, like minimalistic soundtracks, or even um, like sound effects that act as soundtracks, you gotta have that, or else the atmosphere is just gone. You know. So definitely, yeah, it's yeah, definitely exciting to talk about. And if you could. Like, pick one video game score. Not, I mean, not like a soundtrack, but an actual score that has been composed for a video game. To have it as a score for your own everyday life, which video game score would you pick? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Um, and why, and Layla, why is it Glover? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um... If I had to pick one, there's so many. Uh, I think I'm going to pick the one I listen to the most. And this isn't a joke. On my iTunes, it's like one of the top most played. It's um, from Sonic 3. It's called, uh, what's it, Hydro City? Act 1 and 2. Um, it's just like the second level of Sonic 3. 
Uh, and I love that song. I'm actually going to talk about it in the podcast, but it's a mix of jazz and funk and then like faster techno music. And it's just, it's just good. It makes you feel good. But it sounds stressful. Isn't that like a, a super like hyped up soundtrack there? Yeah, but like it's, it's, it's upbeat. It doesn't, it's not like stressful or anything <laughs> except for maybe like one part, but you know, the rest of it's fine. <laughs> And life has stressful parts too. So look, it I mean, does, the tracks. Yeah. <laughs> it does very much so. Dear listeners, uh, we hope that obviously you have a non-stressful time with our show because at, with a terrible fate, we strive to give everyone the, the tools to understand and appreciate video games as a form of storytelling. And that is why this show is free and independent. You won't encounter any advertisements or a paywall. And instead, we rely entirely on your support. And if you wish to contribute, then please go to patreon.com slash with a terrible fate to find out more. And now... Let's dive back into our main story on music, Layla. All right. So basically, I wanted to do this podcast today to talk about music. Uh, there's several ways music can impact a video game, right? Uh, sometimes it can hype you up for boss battles, and that's mostly for the player's enjoyment. Uh, sometimes uh, it's to build atmosphere, Uh, and, but sometimes in really special occasions, but it happens more frequently than you think, uh, sometimes it can, uh, tell the game's story. Uh, if done right, music and video games can be extremely memorable to the point where you only need two to three notes to recognize a theme song. And you have to wonder like why this is. You also have to wonder why a whole soundtrack sticks with you. Even if you don't remember all the songs, you just remember enjoying the music. Um, uh, and this is because, uh, like I said, music can build atmosphere in a game and which in turn affects the story. Uh, so think about it this way. So say in a Mario game, you have Bowser chasing Mario and the player has to get away from the King Koopa. And say you have another chase scene in a Resident Evil game where, let's say, Leon is running away from Mr. X. From uh, Bowser. From, uh, <laughs> oh, yes, from Bowser, yes. Um, As he does. <laughs> in the Mario game, it would probably have bombastic orchestrated um, symphonies and music that's very colorful, while the latter would have really stressful industrial drumming. Uh, even though they're both chase scenes, you can't switch the two soundtracks because it would ruin the story of the game, right? It just wouldn't make any sense. You'd just be like, as a player, you would sit there and go, what is happening? Why is there orchestrated high intense music on a Resident Evil game? What's happening? I think that idea, Layla, of uh, ruining or insulting the story of the game by introducing a soundtrack that's not consonant with it is so interesting to me, right? Because I think a lot of gamers, even even people who think a lot about the storytelling of games, are oftentimes uh, just indoctrinated with this idea that music is an afterthought, right? And it can be better or worse, but it doesn't have that much to do with the story as such. But, mm. but I think there's something deeply right with this idea that Uh, like any other element of a game, especially that that doesn't seem essential to the story, there are ways in which it can do justice to the story and augment it or make it better or actually detract from the essence of that, right? Yeah. It speaks a lot to how, how central music actually can be in video game storytelling. It's, it's very important. That's why, like, a lot of indie developers um, 
if it's like a team of three to five people, one person is just the composer. Like that's what their job is. They just have to make the music and that's how important it is. Um, and going back to that example, um, film does this more, but sometimes you can have really interesting story moments where you purposely make the music um, like not go with the story so it subverts your expectations. Um, I couldn't find an example in a video game though. I mean, a great example has to be the final fight against Gwen and Dark Souls, right? I, I think of that as the most natural example because especially after all of the, the epic boss fight music of Dark Souls where, like you talked about earlier, it's it, it's always hyping the player up, you know, these epic scores with choirs and everything like that to just turn that on its head with a very sad piano track. I mean, I think that's part of why that last fight is so impactful and stays with so many people. Yeah. You mentioned three notes and those three notes are plin, plin, plon from that Queen song. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Although I have to say that I also really love boss fights that have a melancholic uh, score playing at the same time. I do remember that Transistor was one of the games that really yeah. caught me off guard in that way. It is a game very much about an opera singer. It's, about, it's a game about music, basically, but there's a beautiful sequence in which you fight against, I think, another opera singer. And uh, the unfortunately, we can't play any music on this show because <laughs> that would obviously cause some copyright infringements. But that song is so beautiful, so harrowingly beautiful, especially in combination with a very intricate mechanical combat that just stuck with me ever since. Yeah, Transistor, uh, we're actually not going to talk about it because Transistor is kind of complicated to talk about when it comes to music storytelling because it's very, it's very intricate. But um, another uh, example I just thought of was the last boss in Shadow of the Colossus. It's very different because it's the last boss and that soundtrack actually tells the ending of the story, um, the music in it. I don't know if we do spoilers on this podcast. Do we do spoilers? You can do spoiler and I'll pling myself in basically from the future. And then uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, give the, I'll give the time code where people can scroll to. Although I think Shadow of the Colossus has a really old game. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's the final boss and you only, this is the last Colossus you have to kill before uh, releasing, what's his name? Uh, the evil demon that's trying to get you to release him. And the music, unlike the previous ones that are orchestrated and bombastic, this one's very sad. And the music's telling you, you're about to, like, change the fate of the whole world. You are succumbing to darkness. You're about to release this demon if you kill this thing. Um, and it's very sad. Like, with, with Shadow of the Colossus, I f when I, back when I played it for the very first time, I remember that I felt that the music that starts playing when you slay one of these big colossi. Is that the correct plural? I think so, yeah. right? Yeah. One of these big colossi. Um, it is a very, uh, it's a very melancholic, I think, violin tune that plays or like a small orchestral tune. And it's completely in contrast to what you would usually expect as in, like, it's not... It gives you this heavyweight feeling that almost foreshadows that what you're doing is actually... Deeply troubling. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a trick to, uh, particularly with Shadow of the Colossus, which I think is a great example of how music is so integral to the theming of a video game, because the first few colossi that you fight, there is really triumphant, beautiful music playing when you scale them and and attack them. Mm. Um, yeah. 
But then, like you're saying, Stefan, when you strike the final blow, it completely changes. And the mood is is shifted from one of triumph to mystery and sadness. And then I just want to drop the name of the last track of Shadow of the Colossus. It's called The Farthest Land. And it's one of the... I think there are moments for me in video games where the game story kind of crystallizes. Aaron mentioned Gwyn's theme. That was a moment for me where I felt like I understood Dark Souls. The Farthest Land, when that plays at the end of Shadow of the Colossus, I think it plays, it's a very somber song. It's very beautiful. And it makes you rethink everything that you've just experienced in a very interesting new light. Yeah, there's a great example from um, one of my favorite JRPGs, Tales of the Abyss, too. Uh, I mean, anyone who's familiar with the JRPG knows how the title theme is oftentimes very bombastic to keep using that word right and and in your face and uplifting and everything like that and tales of the, the abyss has a great one called karma uh and then along with the similar theme of kind of using music for subversive means or just changing the meaning of the story i'll never forget this great late stage uh battle that happens in the game where basically the the main avatar is made to fight another version of himself and that track plays but it's very much deconstructed and stripped down and i I think just on piano if i remember correctly um to make it much more intimate and just with a completely different tone than what you expect having gone into the game and heard this track every time leading up to the title screen so i I think the power of music to as you say dan either crystallize a theme in a game or lead you to understand something that was only implicit or foreshadowed before is just absolutely tremendous yeah so every time um Every time a game comes out, I'm like, that was a really good game. I always think the composers and like the composers knew what they're doing. Um, so to move on, just a disclaimer, uh, I myself am not a musician, and I know very little music theory. Um, the, uh, what we're going to talk about next is solely from what I have heard about and some definitions I've looked up. Uh, if you want more in-depth music theory, check out the YouTube channel, 8-Bit music theory um, because he actually knows what he's talking about with different notes and chords and stuff. Um, All right. So one of the reasons why music, specifically music that tells a story, is so, let's say, iconic is because they are filled with something called leitmotifs. Um, And a leitmotif is basically a musical theme, melody, or group of notes that is associated with a character an event, a place, or an idea. Um, these appear everywhere in games, especially really famous games, and for good reasons. Because the leitmotif reminds you that something is important, and it also reminds the player of the story. Um, and it can signify like a current development in the story, remnants of the past, or foreshadowing, like we have talked about. Um, the best example of this is Legend of Zelda, right? Legend of Zelda's main theme slash Link's theme. Uh, this plays every time you pull out the Master Sword in any Zelda game. Dun, 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 dun. Oh my god, Link has the sword. Or any uh, anytime something heroic TM is stressed in the story. So like Link discovers that he's the hero. Link meets Zelda or like someone discovers that Link is the hero. Um, and actually... When I wrote this, I realized Zelda's theme is even better example, but there's so many times that Zelda themes play 
in Legend of Zelda games that it was overwhelming. That's a very, yeah, it is, I think, maybe the Ur example of using a million different themes to indicate to the audience what's going on and what they should be paying attention to. Light motifs in Twilight Princess, wasn't that one of like the very first analyses you ever did of video games back in high school, Dan? Yes, um, more so than uh, I think even Ocarina of Time. Twilight Princess, I feel like, makes a deliberate choice to have the the theme that that's kind of it's kind of a variation on the Zelda theme or the you know the the main theme, um, and it plays in somber moments. It plays in triumphant moments. It plays during the final boss fight, like when you're about to strike a final blow against Ganondorf. It's a really masterful use of what Layla's describing. Composers use throughout their use leitmotifs throughout their music. Um, and sometimes it's even hidden. Uh, this is when I say go check out more video game music theory. But sometimes they will elongate the motif. Motif. They'll take out some notes, but still put it in. So it's still the leitmotif. It's just changed a little bit, so to hide it in the uh, composition or a new song. Yeah, I think in, isn't it in, in Skyward Sword, which just recently was uh, re-released, where the Zelda motif occurs just inverted? Like it's yes. played in reverse? Yeah. Yes, the Ballad of the oh, Goddess, right. which is the main theme of Skyward Sword, is oh, yeah. the Zelda's lullaby in reverse, which is really, really cool. Um, so yeah, composers can get really nutty sometimes if they're trying to be clever. Um so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about leitmotif for story, leitmotif for character, leitmotif for setting, uh, leitmotif for events, and then wrap it all up with a game that does all four things really well. Now, but before we dive into that, Layla, leitmotif, uh, maybe for our resident German, <laughs> Stefan. It's ah, been a while since I've done Say it angrily. <laughs> I've been waiting for this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it is a German term. No, it doesn't. It wasn't Wagner kind of like the the first guy who I, I don't know if he coined it or if it was attributed it to him, but I, I have it in my head as attached to Wagner and his operas. I think I think so. I don't think he was the first. I think there's been a description of it before in a kind of different work that was a bit earlier, but I'm not. I can't quite recall the name. But uh, yes, I mean it's it's basically just. Uh, a leading motive, light motif, and in, in German it's usually spelled with a V and not with an F. But uh, I think it's just basically to indicate that it's a loan word. No, I, I I just think that's so interesting. And as we think about it and dive into light motifs, right? Because uh, even even having played video games as much as I have, and we collectively have, I, I think those instances where the music dovetails with the story or represents a certain aspect of it, it it's so easy just to see it as a a singular moment of music intersecting with story as we even talked about at the top of this podcast right but i think this this other mode of thinking about it as leitmotif and as something that is in fact operatic right right like think of an opera the music is not something that is like overlaid and added to complement the story really well the music is part and parcel of the story that is being told in something like you know die Valkyra or the the sauber flute or whatever your favorite musical is um or opera excuse me right the, the original musicals would be cool as a musical version though <laughs> yeah <laughs> there you go that's that's the next uh coming to broadway in 2022 <laughs> right uh <laughs> coming to broadway oh pagliacci <laughs> 
<laughs> oh no, oh no. But thinking about video game music through that lens, right, where it's it's not even something that complements the story, but can uh, be a core aspect of story, I, I think is an interesting perspective shift. And leitmotifs are great for that. If we look at it that, you know, in hindsight, a leitmotif is always very clear. Of course, this would be mm. the Super Mario theme, the Zelda theme, whatever. <laughs> but yeah. you have to imagine that, especially if you start something or if you're a smaller indie developer, uh, there is nothing there, you know? You have to work with what you have when it comes to story and gameplay and to try and condense that into a small uh, melody, harmony, combination, whatever, to encapsulate that. And I think that's the true the true magic, the true skill of, you know, nailing things to in a very condensed way down into a musical sequence that can be built on for everything that comes afterwards musically. That's basically the magic of creating a leitmotif, I feel. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, not to, not to uh, so obviously segue into this, but let's do it. The, I, I think that a, a version of, or a game that um, uses leitmotifs in a very interesting way to evoke memory of story um, from the player is Breath of the Wild. And I wanted to hear, Layla, I know that you had oh, yeah. a few things that you wanted to talk about there. So I, I did want to kick off, though. I think, you know, we're talking about leitmotifs as these musical tools. And I think people who really like Breath of the Wild, or maybe people who even started with Breath of the Wild, might be thinking right now, there's not a whole lot of music in Breath of the Wild that I remember. <laughs> it's a lot of it's a lot of walking around and ambient sound. So how do you uh <clears throat> how how do you go into that there, Layla? Yeah, so Breath of the Wild is really cool because it's very it's what's called a mini minimalistic music, where it's just like Beep, boop, bop, sporadically. Um, so you can't really call it, like, a track. Um, and this is very different from previous Zelda games where each area or fight or encounter had very memorable music. Um, but what's so interesting about Breath of the Wild and lay motifs that work in Breath of the Wild um, is that they signify the greater story at hand. Specifically, a song will play... Uh, that reminds the player that they are progressing the story. So, for example, you're just thrown into Hyrule Field and you're wandering around. However, if when you meet, when you go into a village or when you meet someone important, a whole track will start playing. That means you are progressing. You're finding something out. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it hits you both with nostalgia and indicates that the story is happening. Kind of an interesting, an interesting thing too. Just to recall our discussion about mini maps, it's really interesting that Breath of the Wild uses, as you're describing, these light motifs to indicate when you've stumbled on something story important. Mm. And because the um, minimalistic soundtrack is so minimalistic and quiet, when a whole track starts playing, it's very like, oh, there's a whole soundtrack playing. Something's happening. So I need to like pay attention. <laughs> I um, need to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's also cool I was talking about nostalgia but Glass of Zelda has such memorable games and no, Glass of Zelda has such memorable music that when certain tracks will play not only within the game themselves that like oh this is the theme of this character but they'll play throughout different games which reminds you of the entire story's continuity 
because for those of you who don't know, the Legend of Zelda series is held very loosely together by insane timelines. But whenever, uh, whenever you visit a place that's like another place in a previous game, the player is reminded of that story and those memories fill in. Um, really, really good example of this is the Temple of Time in Breath of the Wild. Um, when you enter that place, it's run down and beaten up. And the theme, the original theme of, from Temple of Time is from Ocarina of Time. Uh, and everyone who plays Legend of Zelda just knows this song. Uh, and when you enter the broken down temple in Breath of the Wild, it plays very, very slowly. Like, there's at least a half note or quarter note between each, like, note progression or melody. Um, which indicates that this structure was very, very important in the past. But it also is kind of sad because as someone who's played Ocarina of Time and knows exactly what why this temple is so important, you sit there and go, oh my god, it's so run down. This is so sad. It is, yeah. But the mm. interesting thing is that I hadn't consciously noticed that even. I mean, I love both games and I think I do. Now I understand the sensation that, overcame me when I entered that place. Uh, of course, I knew the backstory, but, uh, or, yeah, but uh, I hadn't specific, I couldn't have specifically pinned it down to the music. I think um, what what I love too about it is that, uh, you know, Layla, you mentioned the kind of the loose timelines and there's a whole cottage industry online of trying to piece the Zelda games together in this, you know, coherent timeline that <clears throat> I think is kind of, missing the forest for the trees. And I would say that the forest are things like the light motifs that pop up where the connective tissue is less, who is this link and what timeline are we in? And more so, why am I hearing the Temple of Time song and why is it affecting me in this way, mm -hmm. in this dilapidated, you know, destroyed version of it, right? Well, it's either because you have no connection to the story and it's just this kind of spooky, you know, sacred place, or it's because you do have a connection to Ocarina of Time and you realize wow, this is, this is tragic. This, it, this, <clears throat> this building, which held such import in Hyrule, is a microcosm of what has happened to Hyrule uh, in this story, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's very, as Stefan said, you, you may not have noticed it, but to quote another film critic, your brain did, right? Yeah. <laughs> you picked up on it. Yeah. And in a certain yeah. way, Breath of the Wild is almost structured to evoke that, I think, because so many aspects of the game, even in terms of its art style and the the main mechanisms of running around have always felt very dreamlike to me kind of like you're wandering and meandering and the the ambient tones and and just little piano riffs that that we talked about before kind of channel this as well right and this idea that especially for seasoned players of Zelda you didn't notice it, but your brain did. The relations to other games and even the musical tracks are almost more subliminal than they are obvious and explicit references and allusions, I think creates a, a really interesting atmosphere of which the music plays an essential part, right? I, I was thinking too, you know, we, we didn't mention this yet, but uh, there's, there's that great character of Cass, the, uh, the bird who plays the accordion and is mm. like a, like a bard in Breath of the Wild. Right? Oh, yes. And he's, he's, 
he's such a side character, but he's also a really interesting signpost, I think, for how the game treats music, right? Because he he really is like a classical style bard who sings these songs about different areas of the game and the history of these places and and to think about music as that kind of tool for evoking history when the history is so far gone that it's passed into legend even within the context of the fiction i think that gives it a very interesting flavor that you don't see in a lot of the rest of the zelda universe yeah that's what bards do right mm-hmm. right exactly right cast is also fun because as the player you'll just be like wandering around with like little to no music and then suddenly in the distance you will hear him playing the recordion and you're like <laughs> oh my god cast is somewhere i gotta find him so it like changes your whole game um uh yeah so i that's really interesting i like that she brought that up um and just to end with uh leitmotif as story progression uh one of the biggest changes you'll hear when playing is when you enter Hyrule Castle. A whole soundtrack plays, uh, and it switches between outdoor and indoor, which is really cool. Um, And this soundtrack does two things. It tells you when the story is important, so you snap out of your, like, idyllic exploring and say, oh, I need to save Hyrule. Um, Because, you know, Hyrule Castle is where the final boss is, right? Um, But it also does hit you with nostalgia and reference different games... um, in the Zelda universe. Um, and I had to find this out retroactively. Uh, Hyrule Castle is actually the Ballad of the Windfish from Link's Awakening. Uh, and I played Link's Awakening after uh, Breath of the Wild. Um, and this is really cool because the Ballad of the Windfish is literally to wake up this giant fish so you can leave the island. And for it to be playing in Breath of the Wild, Hyrule Castle, it kind of signifies that you're trying to not only wake up Ganon, but you're trying to wake up Zelda so that you can save Hyrule and get Ganon out of here. Um, so it's it's really interesting that they picked that song in particular to play as the Hyrule Castle theme. Um, but that's also why it's Hyrule, the Hyrule Castle theme is kind of memorable when you play Breath of the Wild because you're like, oh... I need to get down to business and do this. Also, I'm in a really dangerous area. I probably shouldn't be here after leaving the plateau. <laughs> it's, right. it's just... The music can do both, right? It can, on the one hand, indicate uh, danger, maybe a, an imminent boss battle. And on the other hand, I just had to uh, think in the exact opposite direction of when music indicates that you're in a safe zone, for example. Mm. I know that many JRPGs that have played do that, whether it's you know something like Persona, um, where whenever you are in a safe area, it plays a specific kind of sound or a specific kind of uh, um, atmospheric background music. So, you know, okay, I'm safe here. I can chill. <laughs> <laughs> if no one else has any more notes, we can move on to the leitmotif as character. Uh, so sometimes the leitmotif can mark a specific individual as extremely important in a story, uh, even before the player realizes it. So... Um, Sometimes you play, you start up a game and the leitmotif that signifies like your arch enemy or the final boss will play at the very beginning. And you don't realize this until you fight this boss. Um, Really good example is in Hollow Knight. Uh, So the titular character, you know, Hollow Knight, uh, has a theme that plays throughout the game. It plays first in the opening cutscene before you even know what the game is even about. It just plays. Um... It plays in a boss fight similar to the Hollow Knight, 
and it plays when you discover the true nature of yourself. Like you play as a little night dude. And when you finally figure out like who you are and why you're important and where you came from, uh, the song also plays. Um, and this theme is really significant both for the Hollow Knight, but also for you and both of your duties to um, the ruined kingdom that you're in. Um, and the, the fact that the composer, I'm forgetting his name, but he purposely put the, the leitmotif of Hollow Knight in these specific characters, both to indicate who the Hollow Knight is, but also your duty as the avatar slash the player is I think that was really, really uh, smart of him to do because you're like, oh, this theme's playing. This is reminding me of who I am. Like something that's happening now is important to who I am and who the Hall Knight is. Um, so that's how Light Motif can work as character recognition. I think that's that's especially interesting in games where the um, the protagonist is silent, where if their if their theme plays it's almost as if they're speaking to you letting you know this is important to me the character um and i think that 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 shows up in a lot of a lot of different games where you know you may not have um a character who can speak for him or herself right i think that to go back to the twilight princess example um link's theme that shows up is a very good example of like okay he's now speaking or letting us know what he's thinking yeah, it also characterizes him, right? As in giving him, like, emphasizing the uh, heroism of his character. Yes. I was thinking, even beyond Silent Protagonist, it's so interesting that we focused on first Dark Souls and now, as you rightly bring up, Layla, Hollow Knight, right? Because the kind of very pedestrian observation about those sorts of games is, oh, you know, their story is hidden it's all inferentially reasoned there's nothing to hold on to in terms of telling you what's going on but through aspects of the game like the music right i think you know it's it's a really interesting and different perspective to say something like well actually the story is all there and right in front of you it's just told much less through explicit text and instead through similarly robust but different language such as the leitmotif right like if you're listening rather than reading in something like hollow knight you will totally get what's going on right you, mm-hmm. you just don't get a lot of the overt cutscenes that you would in something like a jrpg uh, one of my favorite examples and i promise i won't dwell on it because you know you guys know that i i can and and will um <laughs> is it kingdom hearts yeah, it's, uh, listen. It's either it's either Kingdom Hearts or Silent Hill. These are your options with Dan Hughes. So uh, I would say that there's you know you eventually come across a character who has deep connections to three other characters, and they're the final boss theme against them. The final boss theme against the um, the Vanitas character in Birth by Sleep is this. Uh, desperate dark version of these other three characters themes kind of mashed together and i think what that what that kind of led me to think also was maybe a better example that more people can relate to is uh fighting game characters um not not very not always story heavy you know fighting games but 
they are very character heavy. And I think we can all, like I'm thinking of Guile's theme, you know, like we we have these themes that pop up in our head where we immediately can picture who we're talking about just when their theme plays. It's like a, like a pro wrestler coming out, you know? Oh, here it is. Here's The Undertaker. I know his music, you know? John Cena. <laughs> that is actually very similar to my experience of Octopath Traveler, which I would argue mm. has one of the best video game scores that have ever, written, have ever been written. And... Uh, as the title of the game indicates, you play as eight different characters, and each of these characters has their very iconic uh, theme music that plays when they are on screen or when you play as them. And uh, it had the same effect uh, for me, like a little bit in a caricatured way, like with the with the wrestler <laughs> that would come out, because you would right. you would instantly get into the moment of you know uh, who they are and the environment that they are in and it, that's just so wonderful if if this is done with care i think it can really elevate how you relate to these characters and how you see their relationships in this world right yeah. i mean say what you will and and mock as you will about kingdom hearts and and we all know that we will very lovingly with <laughs> with dan's uh let's let's call it deep knowledge of the series what else would you call it <laughs> <laughs> literally nothing else that's all you can call it no but but uh we we had this conversation a few weeks ago on the podcast about this idea of treating the analysis of the stories of video games as another kind of metagame, right? And I have to tell you, as someone who has played most, not all, but most of the Kingdom Hearts saga to date and has really appreciated its story, um, one of the most interesting and unexpected aspects of engaging with that story for me has been, frankly, Dan Hughes sending me YouTube videos of the various musical tracks in it and saying, like, notice how this theme ties in and echoes this other theme and see what that tells you about these characters' relationships, right? And and it has allowed me to learn things about those characters and the ways, the very complicated ways that they're interrelated in something like Kingdom Hearts that I never would have picked up had I just played the games and experienced the soundtrack rather passively without going back to, to think more about those interconnected themes after the fact. So I think the... It's it's a very salient and well-mentioned point that so much care can be put into crafting these tracks and their relationships and thinking about them and even just listening to them passively and reflecting on them after the fact, after you've played the game, I think can be a really illuminating exercise about what was going on in the story. Just to wrap this up, uh, it's the best when you know a character's theme, either because the it has played a lot and you just know to associate the theme with the character, and then the theme plays when the character isn't there which is either like in something you discover or some weird boss fight, but their theme is playing anyway. And you're like, what's going on here? Um, oh, what does this mean? Uh, great. Best example is actually in Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, basically, everyone knows Seth Ross' theme at this point. And if you play the game, his theme will appear like in very specific places. And you're like, okay, I'm freaked out now because Seth Ross' theme is playing and I don't know where he is. Like, why is he important right here? My favorite example of that in that game is that even in the final fight with him, there's it it starts playing, but there's like six or seven false starts to it before it actually like, all right, one winged angel is playing now. It's hitting you fully. Here he is. So, <laughs> it's just perfect build up to him. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that's Le Motif as a character. Um and uh you will hear that a lot if the composer is really trying to emphasize 
characters and their motivations. Uh, then you got leitmotif as setting. Um, you'll hear this most commonly. This is probably the most common one in video games, whereas leitmotif as character is common in all forms of media with audio in it that tells a story. Um, but leitmotif as setting um, obviously signifies a specific area or place. Um, and I'm going to use the example of Metroid, because Metroid games have really unique soundtracks uh, where they're not, they're usually very quiet. Um, but anytime you enter an area, you're like, oh, I'm in this area now, um, which can be really helpful because sometimes Metro's games transition very subtly into different areas, but the music helps you understand where you are. Um, and in certain Metroid games, like Super Metroid, uh, the music's not really trying to be a melody. It's just trying to really serve as the atmosphere to the location. Uh, and this concept can be really apparent in horror video games where there's, like, no music. Uh, but the Metroid series can arguably be a horror series. Um, so that's why it, uh, I compared the two. Um... And for Leitmotifs, for setting, uh, in Super Metroid, uh, the soundtracks either inspire you to explore further, or they creep you out, they chill you senseless. Um, but either way, they put you on edge as you explore a hostile world inhabited by beings that all want to kill you, right? So the whole... The whole music soundtrack as one is just trying to tell you how you should feel, but each setting um, has a specific way you should feel. So, for example, um, in the lava world, you're supposed to feel like you are transversing dangerous lava with dangerous enemies who can burn you alive. Whereas in the water world, it's much more chill and almost like a lullaby, like it's trying to put you to sleep so you can drown. Um, and, and that's how music works in different, uh, Metroid games. And the reason why I bring up leitmotifs is because in different Metroid games, they'll use the same music depending on the area. So for example, um, the Norfair theme, theme in Super Metroid, which is a lava stage, is the same theme as, uh, this area called Magmore Caverns in Metroid Prime, uh, because Magmore Caverns is also a lava stage um and it's really cool as a metroid player if you're a metroid player you probably have played like all the metroid games it's really cool to hear this a theme from an a later game being played in like a same type of setting environment unlike zelda the settings don't have anything to really do with each other they're not related in any way you're in a totally different planet but this theme still plays indicating the type of environment that you're in and like how you should feel transversing this environment um, and Metroid also does this with underwater stages, uh, snow stages, and, like, space pirate stages, whether you're, like, in their compound or on their ship or something. Yeah, I've just been pondering uh, horror games and horror examples and how they, you know, employ uh, music to create atmosphere on the one hand, but also, obviously, to scare. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there is a thought that I've been chewing on for many years now. I don't know whether I've ever voiced, voiced this thought on a podcast, but I'm sure some kind of uh, phenomenologist has already uh, mentioned that. But I've been thinking, you know, when you play a horror game, then 
you have the opportunity to close your eyes to ease or to avert your gaze in order to, you know, not get scared. Um, but you can't close your ears. And I feel like that is part of the reason why music is so very suitable to create like atmosphere because it's just there. You kind of, you don't have to actively perceive it. It just happens automatically. And it also is a layer <clears throat> where, you know, music... Uh, and sound effects are so important in horror games because they just automatically come to you and you can't do anything about it unless, you know, like something that I would do in a, in a horror, when playing, I think, Outlast or something or Amnesia, I can't remember, would be like to rip headphones off of my head when I was <laughs> <laughs> like super scared, right? So that's this this kind of effect. And I think that's why music lends itself so well because we can't close our ears. We can't just like shut it out. We can't not hear it. Yeah. I think uh, I also, I'm reminded of um, beyond leitmotifs, just sound design in video games as well. So like, uh, you know, the term in film is Foley. It's just the sort of, the ambient sounds like you hear crunching or you hear, you know, birds cawing or things like that. And certain sounds like that almost become iconic to the game because they indicate to you something that's about to happen. I'm thinking of like, when you hear a chainsaw rev up in Resident Evil 4, oh God. or when you hear the siren <laughs> in Silent Hill, right? It's these things where you think, oh, no, 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 Don't, not that sound, please, <laughs> right? And I think that uh, more so than um, music, that kind of uh, sound design can be really indicative of the kind of setting you're about to enter into. Yeah. We're using leitmotif kind of loosely right now because <laughs> leitmotif is supposed to be like a specific chord progression, but... Um, we're usually more it's just like something in music that repeats, yeah, like a theme that repeats, that reminds you of what is going on in the story. I think that idea of, of a particular music representing setting um, dovetails really interestingly with that music as a signal that something is about to happen in a way that uh, can also just be so effective and jarring in video game storytelling in cases where settings change in unexpected ways. And I'm thinking back to what we were talking about a little while ago. Um, I think you were the one who mentioned it, Stefan, in terms of um, like settings as safe zones, right? Um, so something like, you know, think about a town or a village in a JRPG, right? Where it's just not part of the game for something like combat to happen there. And it's just a place where you can rest and engage with shops and things like that, which I think makes it such a, an interesting place for sonic transitions and auditory transitions in cases where um, unexpected transformative story events happen in particular villages where they're just, you know, ravaged or attacked or, changed in ways that they no longer become merely these safe zones, right? Thinking about like, you know, Clara, the, um, like the tree village in final fantasy nine. Cause I just finished that right. When it's, when it's attacked by queen bronze forces and Beatrix and everyone, and suddenly it transforms from this like regular village into this battlefield that, you know, you'll never be able to go back to. It'll never be the same. Right. And that's very much, it's, it's become a trope in JRPGs, but I think in many ways it's an effective trope, not just because, the basic mode of engagement with place has changed, but also because as we're talking about with music, right, the entire aesthetic experience of the place changes as soon as its context within the story changes. 
It does, yeah. And it's also especially effective, I feel, if the entire musical composition originating from the leitmotif is uh, basically arranged in this, on the same instruments. You know, like the, the instrumentation is often very important to me because we've got such games like uh, Nino Kuni or uh, Dragon Quest VIII, I think it was. Um, Level 5, the developing studio, they do this all the time where they use like an entire orchestra and that very orchestra would play the entire music for the game. And that's something that I always find so beautiful when the diff when the when a leitmotif repeats in different areas, comes back, you know, sometimes it's more at the back of your of your head, sometimes it's very much up front and front and center, especially when important story moments happen. But it's always within the context of that one orchestra playing it. It's so gorgeous. Reminds me of when you know, silent films used to have live orchestras scoring yeah. them in real time. Mm -hmm. And it does it does kind of feel like the music itself is engaging in the story. It's a really, that, that kind of uh, cohesion that I think you're talking about, Stefan, where it's all, it all feels very, very much the same throughout. It, it just uh, makes you feel like you're going on that journey with the music itself. Uh, so Aaron actually brought up something that segues into the next one. He talked about how a game can, uh, a sound effect can signify a change in sonic transitions. Well, leitmotif, and I'm using this term really loosely now, can signify events. And this actually happens in Sonic 3 and Sonic Mania. Um, that was a bad segue, but you know what? Who cares? Um... No, it was a sonic transition. It's sonic transition. Thank you. So, like Aaron said, music can signify like an event happening, like we're a change in the story. Um, and I chose the Sonic games because it's it's more subtle uh, because you don't notice that you're like, oh, cool, a new soundtrack. Because you're uh, the way so old school Sonic games work. Um, they're not really known for their storytelling. It's more just like, let me run fast. Uh, but uh, there's about like 10 levels in a Sonic game, and each level is divided into two acts, Act 1 and Act 2. Um, the acts are separated by a large event happening in a story. You fight a boss, something happens, something explodes. Um, and But the music depicts this change in both the environment, but also the change in like what Sonic has to do and where it has to go. Um, so for example, in the first level of Sonic 3, uh, Angel Island Zone, this is the first level, he appears, he's in a jungle, and the music is this friendly jungle vibe, oh, I'm having a good time running fast, and it's in major scale. At, uh, one, at the end of Act 1, this machine shows up and sets everything on fire, so the whole island is now on fire, um, and... It's the same melody, but now things are in, like, slight minor scale. Like, different... The way minor works is you take a major scale and you take the third note to... You make it, like, a sharp or something. I, again, not a music theorist. I just know something happens with the third note. Um, and it makes it minor. Um, and this change uh, indicates that something obviously bad is happening, a.k.a. the jungle is on fire now. Um... Another example of this is uh, Hydro City Sound. This is the music that I said would be in my life. I really like this music because the first level, 
uh, is funky jazz. And it takes this time to like really play out the melody and be groovy. Uh, for uh, you, those of you who don't know, Hydro City Zone is just this crazy underwater maze where you have to like go through different pipes go underwater sometimes, um, and zip around over the water. Uh, in the middle of Act 1 and Act 2, you fight a boss, and then the maze starts trying to kill you. Like, it literally, the walls come together, and you have to escape it so you don't get crushed between two walls. Um, and the music changes from this funky jazz tune that was taking us time to this more disco uh, house like drum and beat tune it's faster um, and it's the same melody in both cases it's the same melody with a different take indicating and it uses music um, tone and genre to indicate um, the events that have happened and how Sonic needs to act and I guess how he feels in this new setting that has been affected by these events um, but there are a lot of games that do this that indicate like something has happened and now the world is different, right? And you were just talking about um, different JRPGs where it's like, oh no, my village is burning or like, I can't come back here. It's the same thing. Yeah, I've just been pondering that because, I mean, um, just as a tiny addendum, I think it's, uh, I think from major to minor as you take the third note and put it into a flat one. So it's oh, okay. like half a, half a step down. Um, but I, I've just been wondering, uh, does Silent Hill do this at all? Because it would be kind of predestined. Predestined? Is that a word? Yeah, right? It would would be exactly what ha what is happening there, right? With the, with the siren that indicates the transition into a different world. And I don't know the music changes and it becomes this perfectly industrial soundtrack. But does it actually pick up on the music that has previously been playing? Not typically. Not really, right? No, it's it's much more of a drastic shift between sort of light, maybe some piano notes in the town, and then that heavy industrial that you're talking about in the other world. Um, yeah, it's I, I th I'm trying to think of um, a better example of where this happens, and I think <laughs> the only example I'm coming up with is a character example, the the Lineback character from Phantom Hourglass. Um, I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on a setting right now. It's more like an event. Well, I mean, Aaron mentioned Final Fantasy IX. I think the Final Fantasy series in general is very good about, um, something has happened and now the theme that you are used to is sad and yeah. destitute. <laughs> I think one, one other variation of this that is worth mentioning is transition and change, um, through silence, Right. I think about maybe you. You all probably know, and some listeners might be familiar with this um, famous piece of like experimental twentieth-century music called Four Minutes Thirty-Three Seconds" that John Cage wrote. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, the the famous piece where it's it's properly performed by musicians, but throughout all three of its movements, they are instructed not to play their instruments. Right? So Just it's turning the pages. Yes, it's it's orchestrated silence, basically. Right? And and as silly as that might sound at first blush, I think video games do this tremendously well in their musical storytelling, specifically in transitions of the kind that we're talking about now. Right? I think of again thinking thinking about. Um, 
you know, tropes that have come about, especially in JRPGs. But one that is so effective and interesting in this regard is especially after beautifully scored games with all of these rich, different, you know, musical motifs and themes right before the final boss to have a lead up that is just in silence. It's it's almost as if the presence of that character and what is going to come to pass has just sucked all of the the content and context out of the story and out of the universe right so that it is only them right yeah that's what i was thinking too like walking up to a boss in silence and you're like or not even a boss it's like you're going on your way blah 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 and then the music just stops and you're walking somewhere like you're only you only have one destination but there's no music and you're like okay like something is about to happen. It's like it emphasizes this dramatic polarity um, right before a boss fight. But what I've just been wondering is like um, there is a recent trend in how uh, motives are organized, especially at dramatic turning points of the story. Uh, when we look at something like, um, uh, ah, here, uh, Westeros, what's its face again? Game of Thrones. Uh, Game of Thrones, right, thank you. <laughs> what's its face? <laughs> And Game you know, of What's-His-Face. No, that's that's what it's called. <laughs> Game of Faces. It's like, uh, the thing is, um, uh, no spoilers, but there is a sequence that is particularly striking in the course of that of that story where they d- do this trick that afterwards you don't hear any music while the credits run. Normally you always yeah. hear the theme of the show or the leitmotif of the show, yeah. but they just don't do that and that's how they accentuate it. I'm wondering, like, I've seen this in various different instances ever since. Like, I've even seen, like, a Japanese reality TV show that did that when a, a very beloved uh, candidate left the house. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm just waiting for video games to do this, too. Like, to employ that uh, dramatic silence that you mentioned, Aaron, and basically flip the script by not putting it before a boss fight, but, like, at the end of a game. Well, something that's interesting too, this is not quite the same thing as what you're talking about, Stefan, because I, I know that trope and I can't think off the top of my head of any games that do that really effectively. But I'll also say, okay, so two things, right? First, it's interesting, especially that you go to a TV show, right? Because I think it's very easy to use silence as an effective way of signifying transitions or, or kind of act breaks, so to speak. And I think... It's like it makes a lot more sense for that to happen with the credits rolling in a single episode as opposed to at the end of the series. Right. And so to think of that silence as something that's transitional within a game story rather than at the very end, I think, is, is probably a, a fairer comparison. But I think especially if, if you're thinking about it, not just in terms of like the run up or anticipation to something like a battle, but as in fact, like an element of the storytelling language within a battle, right? Like think about your favorite final boss with a bunch of its different forms, right? I I think silence can be used as a really, really interesting method of marking transitions between those different stages. I I won't go too much into spoilers for this, but as a um, promo, I guess, for next week when I'll be talking about Scarlet Nexus, its final boss is a really, really interesting example of this because it's one of those bosses where, you know, it starts out with very grandiose forms um, and, you know, very um, bombastic music, as we've talked about before. But as you winnow the boss down to its later forms, it becomes very 
isolated and lonely and kind of collapses the whole world around this sense of loneliness uh, and robs you of the other characters in your party, right? And so it goes to a battle with total silence where then as you gradually regain your other party members, more and more music comes in as well and it becomes increasingly triumphant as if you're you know, reclaiming your friends in this battle against someone who is deeply alone as represented by the silence, right? And so I think it, it can absolutely be like a, an element of the broader storytelling language that's happening in events in that regard. That's very beautiful. Silence is a beautiful leitmotif. And my guess is that the first video game to do this is going to be some kind of sequel to The Last of Us because they are so close <laughs> to doing that already, right? When something dramatic happens and then the screen goes black and you just see autumn, <laughs> you know? And you just yeah, have this, yeah. this tension that you just hold. Like the music doesn't play in the, in the same way you hold your breath in that moment. And I think that's very powerful. So uh, as I've learned when I've, you know, studied a little bit of uh, music it's like often the strongest notes are those that aren't played yeah and to speak of music this goes to aaron how like he's talking about the music builds up as you get your party that's another way to signify like something's happening or events um you start with like a bass melody and then like you get further and like different instruments are added another melody is added on top like and the music just builds and it's crescendo like a was it a music that crescendos and goes to a climax um those really indicate that you're getting to something really big um easy example is the end of twilight princess where you're climbing up hyrule castle to ganondorf um that music crescendo is like oh shit i guess i'm sorry and you're just like oh i uh gotta Oh God, Ganondorf is up here. The music <laughs> is building up. What do I do? But this this happens. Um, different boss phases. This also happens. Um, and it's just I I really like crescendoing music. So I'm glad you brought that up because that it's it makes the player. It really affects the player, right? And you're just like, oh, things. The music's getting intense. So I need to be more focused, right? All right. Uh, how, how does it all come together? It's all come together. So we talked about leitmotif as character, no, as story, character, setting, and events. Um, however, leitmotifs don't have to be separate like this. You can, you don't have to have leitmotif for just character and just settings. A lot of the time, leitmotifs will indicate a mix of two or three or all four, um, if the composer really knows what they're doing. And this happens in the game Undertale. Uh, I basically wrote this whole podcast to talk about Undertale because Undertale music is amazing. So it's you can't ignore this game because Toby Fox basically wrote like three to four musical tracks and then made an entire soundtrack out of these three or four tracks. Um, he uses leitmotifs to the fullest of their extent, signifying story events, key locations, but also character moments. And those three things actually bleed into each other, um, which is one of the reasons why Undertale is just so good in terms of story, but also in terms of, like, video game stories specifically. Um, and I'll just give you some examples, right? So the Undertale theme, uh, this appears in so many moments, um, but it, uh, it, is, it points out important and signifying events. Specifically, it points out when you the avatar 
slash the player because in Undertale, it's kind of the same thing. Um, when it points out the choices that you made in the game. So it appears in the main menu. It appears before... It plays before the final boss. It plays when you're hearing about lore. It plays when you talk to Sans. It plays during the final boss. It plays at the end of one of the uh, the pacifist route. Um, so this theme, the Undertale main theme, is really talking about the story and the choices that you have made to get to this point in the story. Or it indicates, like, before the very beginning, it indicates that, like, you have to make a choice before in order to like progress the story it's the story is up to your choices there we go that's what i'm trying to say um and then uh so that's an example of just a theme in undertale signifying the story then other examples can point out a mix of themes so a mix of either character or setting for example uh Undying, uh, she is a character in Undertale. Uh, she's one of the bosses. All, a lot of the major characters are bosses. It's not a spoiler. Um, when you fight Undying, there's this really intense, heroic fighting song. You're like, ah, yes, I'm fighting a seasoned warrior. Um, before that, however, uh, you're in this area called Waterfall, and this is an area that Undying chases you throughout, um, and you have to kind of look this up, but Waterfall's music is just Undyne's theme slowed down, like extremely slowed down, like she is always watching and following you through that area. Um, and Undyne's theme also plays in this area called Quiet Water, where her house is. So that whole, like, from Waterfall to Quiet Water to fighting Undying, the whole setting is... Uh, surrounded by her theme and by her. It, she dictates the entire story between those two areas. So that's how music can signify that character and setting are related. Um, feel free to interrupt me because there's a lot of uh, examples in Undertale. I won't interrupt you, but I, I will go on to because I, I know you have this as an example. It's hard to talk about It's hard to talk about Undertale without talking about Sans. Oh, yes. Um, and I think that... Um, you know, Undertale has been uh, memed to death, <laughs> but it's uh, still a fantastic game with really incredible music that I think, I don't want to say does a lot of the heavy lifting, but it, it's, it, it almost does, where it, it adds a lot to it. I think it, it expands on a game that, um, you know, isn't that long, and it just kind of, uh, it helps you to kind of think about it. And I think my... My favorite example of a character theme um, is Sans's theme because mm -hmm. there's a lot of interesting things going on with it. Um, in particular, you know, it plays when he's introduced. Um, it, I, you have here it plays in a, a more somber, you know, part of it as well yeah. where, you know, you're you're kind of chatting with him about the nature of the world. Um, but this is, this is one of my favorite things. So, Stefan, you had said that um, sometimes the, you know, the most important notes are the ones that aren't there. And one of my favorite bits of trivia of the Undertale soundtrack is that every character has two themes, at least. There's their normal theme, and then there's the fight theme, or the kind of, you know, the faster paced or the slower paced. That's how Toby Fox kind of plays with their music. Sans has his main theme that we hear in the story, and then there's a theme that was not used. Yeah. That 
that is meant to be his boss theme, but that's not used when you fight him. A very uh, <laughs> recognizable, very different, almost alien to Undertale, um, Undertale soundtrack song plays when you actually fight him. So it's this really interesting use of a character's themes to kind of play with what we as gamers may even expect to hear from a character theme. I must say, I, I do uh, love Undertale very much, and I can't express how impressed I am by the fact that Toby Fox, as someone who made the entirety of that game, not everything on its on his own, but, you know, basically spearheaded the entire thing, and just casually composed uh, music that is so memorable and so iconic that I would easily pair it up with the likes of, you know, Chopin and so on. And <laughs> one, one, of, one of the examples, it's not, even, it's not even an exaggeration, I think, that one of these examples that I have in my mind, which hasn't been mentioned, and it makes me sad a little bit, that's why I have to mention it, is Muffet. Muffet's theme, Muffet <laughs> the Spider. Yeah. Because the beauty of that piece is when you play it on the piano, then your hands jump around like spiders. You can literally see the spider motion in the motion on the piano. It's so gorgeous. How do you come up with that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're a very smart man named Toby Fox, I think, is how you come up with it. That's the answer. Yeah. I think I once had an email exchange with Toby Fox. Oh my god. He was like, the, the fun thing about it is. Um, I, I, we wrote some emails back and forth and he was in his emails responding in exactly the way that you would expect for an Undertale character to speak with you. <laughs> he, was like, he was like really almost like caricature. It was, it was really nice. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you bring up Muffet. Feel free to bring up different songs because like almost every song in the Undertale soundtrack can be linked to Leitmotif or character setting like it's it's just so they're so integrated with the story of the game that it's it's actually just so amazing and that's why this whole soundtrack is super memorable um uh the next example links events with character and this is alphys's theme um i don't want to spoil this part too much but basically alphys when you meet her she has a very specific theme it's nerdy like computer buttons being pushed on a keyboard it has a melody so it sounds nice but it's just like ah i'm the nerd of the story um later though if you take the pacifist route you end up in her underground lab and that music is her theme and it's so different i don't want to explain i don't want to spoil it but you enter it and you're like what wait a minute, what is happening? Because it's her theme, but you're in a totally different place, and it's signifying events that have happened in the past of the game, but also that are happening now. And it's just like, the tonal contrast is amazing. It's such a, a fantastic example of show, or I guess, you know, hear <laughs> or listen, don't tell. Um, because Alfie's, like you say, She's in this position of power in the world where she's the she's the royal scientist, right? And she controls basically all of these different experiments. But when you meet her, you're like, what <laughs> why is she in this position? And then having that juxtaposition of her theme in that horrific underground lab, it makes you say like, oh, it's because she's capable of this. That's really terrifying. That's why her, her exterior is very nerdy and kind of strange, but 
when we get here, it's like, well, there's a reason that she's in that position. She's willing to do these things. Yeah. Um, and you'll notice uh, a lot of these leitmotifs are tied to character um, in Undertale. And that is because this Undertale story and events and settings are heavily connected with the character. And that's how the game is written. Um, and that's because the game is written that way. Uh, Toby made the music that way or vice versa. I actually don't know how Toby made the music, but it's like they come hand in hand uh, to the point where if you just listen to the soundtrack, you can get a sense of like how things are connected, how people are connected just by listening to music and seeing the title of the, um, uh, of the songs and be like, Oh, so everything's tied together. This, location in this character this event in this character it's just toby fox designed the music to reflect this character centric story and that's why it's so good the music is the story and that's why i love undertale that's really the big reason people talk about like the choices and the game of panics for me it's the music i just the music it sold the game for me entirely yeah, for totally me totally agree yeah. yeah i feel exactly the same way it, it's it elevated Undertale, which in general I would say is a really amazing game, but it it music elevated it to a level that is so clo so close and dear to my heart that I I can't not even imagine how it would be not to have played that game, you know. So maybe also for <laughs> right. everyone out there uh, who hasn't played Undertale yet, then uh, this is the time to do it, you know. Do yourself a favor, yeah, yeah. and then play Delta Rune afterwards because it's also very beautiful. <laughs> it's also great. I Toby Fox just posted that link mysteriously, and I was like, "Well, I guess I'm clicking this link," and then a whole game happened, and I was like, "What is going on here?" That was fun. <laughs> and he, I think he posted like Delta Rune. Yeah, this is going to be like a, a demo or a first part of something. And then he was asked in an interview, um, so when can we expect, you know, the rest of, of Delta Rune? And he's like, lol, probably never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I view Undertale as a perfect example of leitmotifs and music being the story, reflecting or being the story of the game. Um, and that's really why I wrote this whole podcast, because I wanted to talk about it. <laughs> explain why I love this game so much. Um, I'll tell you, Layla, I've, I've really loved this exploration of leitmotifs because um, I, I, think, I think music is so easily overlooked in games, not just because it's uh, you know, less obvious than graphics or the mechanics or things like that, but also you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about like my experience on the PlayStation five since I've gotten that right. And, and one of the features that I actually was, <laughs> yeah, yes, definitely lucky. And, and hopefully everyone who wants one will be able to get one soon. Um, but you know, one of the things that I, I actually really initially enjoyed and thought was cool that they added was, um, you know, they've made it so easy to, um, integrate Spotify or other music streaming services into your gaming experience, right? So you can go ahead and um, just flip through the menu to Spotify and start playing music and uh, make it so that that music is overlaid when you're playing a game. And so I've, I've honestly gotten into the habit now and then of, especially, you know, just when I'm grinding in games, like need to get my level up or something like that, or trying to get a particular item of even turning the music in the game down. I am ashamed to confess <laughs> and playing something through my Spotify library instead. And so 
to have this discussion as a reminder of how truly integral even the most seemingly ambient music can be um, to your game experience. I mean, I, th I think that's it, it's a point well taken, and it's one that I think is important for all gamers to remember and reflect on, especially as it becomes easier to listen to other music or tune out that key aspect of game storytelling. Yeah, I think the, the, the aspect of listening to music while playing that's definitely a topic we need to address uh, separately. And another topic we need to address is why does Sony have this deal with Spotify and not with Apple Music? <laughs> because I can't do that. Yeah, unless you guys have anything else to talk about, I was Undertale was the end because I think it's literally the perfect example of musical storytelling. So yeah, there's always more to talk about, but that's why there are always more episodes of a podcast such as this as well. And if you, dear listeners out there, um, are engaged or engaged in this conversation, then uh, why don't you reach out to us maybe to by email podcast at with a terrible fate.com and tell us uh, what your most memorable score moment is, especially in which it intersected with the story. Uh, apart from that, thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, then please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash with a terrible fate. Feel free to leave us a couple of stars on Apple Podcasts and find all our written content, including that from Layla on withaterriblefate.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Send an email to podcast at withaterriblefate.com and then we'll talk again next week. See you then. Mm -hmm.